Maybe somebody will send Big Chief a bottle of that honeydew. I'd really like a bottle of it. Any Texans should get a bottle of that. <laughs> I know a guy who can help you out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Jim, I think this is – what do you think about this bourbon? Yeah, I mean, I you know me. I like bold bourbons, right? I like I like rye whiskeys. I like, I like very bold bourbons. I like things that uh, – speak to you when you take a sip and this definitely talks to you it's 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 got some character no doubt about it welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts jim and mike so grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is The Bourbon Road. And Mike, where are we today? Well, we're in social media land, but we got a guy from Texas with us, which is, you know I'm excited about. We got Garrison Brothers founder owner Dan Garrison with us, and we're going to drink some of his Texas bourbon today. I'm, you know, damn, I'm excited, Jim. I know I could tell the whole time <laughs> leading up to this show, you couldn't stop talking about it. You're a Texas boy yourself, and yeah. I'm I'm outnumbered today, but I'm in good company, so that's all right. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to have you here. So, what's uh, what's the weather like down there right now? Is it is it starting to get good and hot? Absolutely gorgeous day out there. It's about eighty five degrees, uh, light wind, but we're supposed to have rain for the next three days. So, uh, we should enjoy it while we can. Yeah, is this your rainy season right now, or usually the spring is is our rainy season if we if you want to call it that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we get about twenty eight inches a year out here in high Texas, so not a whole lot of rainfall on the ground. Uh, what we do capture, we can use as water for our facility. We use uh, the, all the rainwater that we capture through the gutters in our buildings. Um, our barns, all of our rickhouses have gutters on them, and all that water goes to storage tanks. And we use that bottle for proof. We use that water for proofing our bourbon down. Got it. So this time of year, you're kind of storing up for the for the drier months. Then, yeah, we have about two hundred thousand gallons of, of of catchment capacity and, and tanks to hold hold the water. So that's all proofing water then. It is. We also use it to run our restrooms, you know. Uh, we use the same water for cleaning. Um, just because we don't have that much water coming up out of the ground, we've got a well that runs about 25 gallons per minute, which is pretty weak. Um, so we have to rely on the rainwater for most most of our practice. All right. Well, Mike, what do you think? I'm getting that itch. You know me, Jim. I'm, I'm fixing to drink this sucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, we've got, uh, and we'll just we'll just say you brought a cup of your expressions for us to drink today, and Mike's already dipping dipping his dipping his tongue in it, right? <laughs> it's pretty dark, isn't it, Mike? It actually is. Ooh, that's got a little bit of spice to it. I was quite surprised, and this is a young younger bourbon too, because Texas Texas heat, you can guys can produce it just a little bit faster. Is that correct? Yeah, the heat's our friend here. The heat forces the wood forces the liquid to enter the wood more effectively and deeper. And it extracts more of the sugars from the, the sap from the white American oak trees from which those barrels are made. Uh, the one I think you're drinking our small batch, which is 94 proof. Um, and that was an intentional. Uh, Elmer T. Lee was a good friend of mine and he always said shoot for 94 proof. So uh, we did it. So that's what you came out with is 94 proof uh, Texas straight bourbon whiskey. This one we were actually was released in, this year. Am I going to say this right? Down County. Gallon County corn. Yeah. So that's probably, I'm guessing that's a 20, is that a 2019 bottle? Oh, no, no, that's 2020. 2020. It's, it's got uh, number one panhandle white corn yep. in it. Gallon County. We've since switched, and we're now using corn growers down in South Texas. So the, uh, the bourbon's going to be different in the future, and I think it's better. So is this, uh, is this, this bourbon right here, what's the mash bill on that? Do we, we let us know that? 74% corn, all organic, uh, 100% food grade corn. It's not feed grade. Um, it's 74% corn, 15% soft red winter wheat. We get all the wheat from Texas farms as well. Um, and then it's 11% barley. It's two row barley. Um, and that's coming in from kind of all over the country. 
We do have some roasters, some some roasters here in Texas now that are doing some great uh, malting, malting companies that are doing some great barley. So we're starting to source a lot of the barley from Texas now. I'll tell you what, that's, that's big boy whiskey right there, Mike. <laughs> that's good stuff. So you uh, you can definitely pick up the, the malt in that. The malt really shines through. Mm-hmm. It's a richer, heavier, oilier bourbon than anything I've ever tasted from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got some legs on it in a glass. Um, Jim, what are you getting in that? I'm getting a lot of uh, toasted marshmallows for some reason. Yeah, so I'm getting a, I'm getting a burnt sugar too. Yeah, I, I I really like it. It's got it's got the caramel, but it's got a little bit more of that burnt sugar. I even, I'd even go burnt marshmallow. I don't know. Well, you guys also have a bottle of Balmoray over there. Yes, we do. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna drink that on the second half of the show. Yeah, we got that. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're sitting side by side here already in my glass, and it's it's a little bit darker, but they're both. I mean that's that's a good dark whiskey for and and these are about I I know age is a totally different thing in Texas, but these are about four years old, right? Minimum of four years old. Minimum yeah. of four years old. Okay. Uh, my goal was always to make straight bourbon. I wasn't going to release it until it was a straight bourbon, so meaning two years in the barrel. And then uh, some young enterprising man up near the Waco area decided he was going to get in the whiskey business about the same time I did, but he was going to release a four-week-old. And I said, like, hell you are. I've been doing this for, for two years. I, there's no way I'm going to let you beat me to market. So we did release our first bourbon was just a one-year-old uh, just to beat him to market. <laughs> so you're the first we were the first in texas for sure um there's some debate as to whether uh it was us or the guys up in new york state um i trying to remember the name of that distillery up there um super nice guy um i'll think of it here in a minute but there's a distillery up in new york that started about the same time we did so we probably have to say the first bourbon whiskey outside of you know in, in southern because St. Louis and in uh, Missouri and Indiana makes a lot of bourbon. Sure, so they've sure. been making it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd, our listeners probably beat us up on that. They'd be like, "What about MGP?" Um, yeah, I, don't, I think MGP started got off the ground about the exact same time I did because they were, weren't that. I think MGP's distillery was one of the old Seagram's plants that was mm-hmm. Seagram's, and it, it was LDI and MGP, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, Dan, what made you start a distillery? Uh, this adventure began for me way back in 1989. I graduated from the University of Texas with a communications degree. Hook'em. Hook'em horns. horns. And you might be a redneck if you move to New York City and take your shotguns and your rifles with you. And you're walking down Third Avenue with all your guns and your two suitcases in your hands. Um, I didn't know that it was illegal to have a gun in New York City. So I took them with me anyway. Nobody's going to take me from my guns, Right. So I moved in there. I got a job with Gray Advertising on uh, 3rd Avenue. Then I moved to Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. I was there for about four and a half years when I met my wife, Nancy. She was a Texan as well. She also went to the University of Texas, Hook'em. And she calls me up out of the blue and says, hey, I'm in New York a lot. I'm a buyer for a department store. Um, Would you like to go grab a drink sometime? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, first of all, she's from Texas, but she's probably smoking hot. Second of all, uh, she's got the guts to call me up and ask me out on a blind date, sight unseen. And third of all, this is the perfect relationship for a 24-year-old. She flies in. We go out on a date. She flies out. There's no commitment required, right? So uh, we started dating immediately. As soon as I met her, I fell badly in love with her. Moved back to Texas about six months later. Got a job with GSD&M Advertising in Austin, managing the Coors Light Texas account. Uh, so I was in package goods there. That's where I learned advertising and marketing and promotion and public relations. And then um, 1995, I moved to the internet economy, if you will. Everybody in Austin, Texas was jumping on the dot-com train at that point in time and worked for a uh, technology company for, called ExtraPrize for about five or six years. And then in 2001, I became a very rich man. ExtraPrize was sold to a company out of California called Commerce One. And ExtraPrize uh, was sold for $178 million. So I did pretty well on that deal, except that Enron collapsed in January of that year. And Enron was our largest client. So um, we went belly up. And all of that, all the stock options and all that value that I thought that I was going to be able to take to the bank with me just completely disappeared. So I was flat broke at the age of 40. And I decided to do what any responsible father of two would do in that situation. I went to Kentucky to go get drunk for a week on the Kentucky bourbon trail. 
And I came back with a big idea. Good idea, right? Turned out that way anyhow. I got the best job in the world. I get to drink good bourbon with new friends every single damn day. <laughs> That's awesome. Not many people get to say that. But, you know, it couldn't have been easy because, I mean, you were a pioneer in all this. I mean, there wasn't anybody that did the Texas, make, make some whiskey in Texas deal, and you had to figure it all out. My life refers to me frequently as a bull in a china shop. I um, I don't think that I can't do something. I think that I can do it until somebody shows me different. So um, there were lots of starts. There was lots of stops at the beginning. Uh, we almost went bankrupt four times um, in the early years, waiting for the bourbon to mature, um, ordering barrels ceaselessly, you know, more barrels coming in, more barrels coming in, building new rickhouses, building new rickhouses. And I didn't realize at the time that there's a lot easier way to get to market. You can just buy sourced liquid from MGP or another distillery like that, bottle that up, put a fancy Texas label on it and send it out the door. But I wasn't going to do that. Um, if I was going to make a bourbon, I was going to make the best damn bourbon I could possibly make. And we think we've done that today. And a lot of the the writers, a lot of the, the critics out there are coming around and recognizing this ain't such bad juice. So a lot of people say that Texas bourbon tastes dusty. And I, I'll tell you what, I'm a weeded guy. I'm, I'm the professed weedy king of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I love weeded bourbon. And I, so this is a weeded bourbon, right? For sure. Um, and, uh, we've got we've got a high rye coming out this summer, but it's it's literally going to be a couple of hundred bottles. Um, we decided after letting that high rye age for about five years, we didn't like it nearly as much as we like our weeded bourbon. So we're gonna we're not going to be in the, the the rye business. I mean, this is this is pretty spicy though. I mean, it gets a lot of spice out of that barrel. Yeah, it does. And I said early on, this is a big boy bourbon because when I took that when I took that first sip, I was like, "Wow, that's a that's a bold bourbon for '94." I mean, it really is. Yeah. And and part of it is single distillation. We run a pot still. Um, we have one hundred gallon still called the Copper Gallerill, and that's the one I bought from Vendome uh, Brass and Copper Works. She used to be the experimental still that Elmer and uh, Harlan used at Buffalo Trace. Um, and then we have. Two 500-gallon stills called Fat Man and Little Boy. Uh, they got their names because they're awesome displays of American might. And then we just got a 2,000-gallon pot still in that we call the Big Johnson. And that one runs all night long for us. So we're, we've got four stills in operation at any, any given time. So so with this being a weeded weeded bourbon, Jim, you were right. It does have some spice in it. Is that What size of barrels are you using to barrel this in? We started with 10-gallon barrels back in 2000 four and then we switched to 15 gallon barrels in 2008 then we switched to 30 gallon barrels in 2010 and today we're pretty much using exclusively 24 27 or 30 gallon barrels and they're all coming from um the barrel mill up in minnesota or from um kelvin cooper's right there in louisville Uh, maybe that's where the spice comes from jim is uh from those smaller barrels you know you think well, I'm just wondering with the with the temperature swings in Texas. I mean that that liquid's moving in and out of that barrel once a day, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, it's hot as hell during the day, about 125 degrees in, in our rick houses in the middle of the summer. So that bourbon's deep in the wood. So, how did you figure all that out in the beginning without losing your shirt? I mean that that must have been a tough gamble right there. Well, I had, I had a lot of help from the experts. Um, Drew Callsfield has always been a big supporter of mine. He's been very helpful. Every time I'm up in Kentucky and, and get over to see him in Bardstown, it's a great thing. I love his little distillery over there. He's a super neat guy. Um, Elmer T. Lee, as I mentioned, was gave me access to Buffalo Trace Distillery, and I got to meet guys like Truman Cox, you know, before he passed, and and they were all so helpful. And I would send emails during the day, ask questions about different things. And then at some point, I, I ran into this guy at Maker's Mart named Pickerel, Dave Pickerel. Yeah. Um, and Dave, Dave and I hit it off. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. We really just got along really well because I love the history of bourbon as much as Dave does. And Dave's done all, all that work at George Washington's Monticello. I'm not Monticello, George Washington's Mount Vernon distillery. Um, and Dave, Dave loved the history of the, the craft. And, and he, he taught me to respect that. And I do. And I, and I did. And, you know, I've been to Lexington to drink uh, pre-prohibition bourbons with Dave. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of that kind of relationship. He sent me a bottle of George Washington's uh, White Dog 
uh, early on in the day. And we just got along great. And he quit working at Maker's Mark about the same time that I opened up and started distilling uh, for the very first time. And Dave was kind enough to come down and spend a week with me living out of a travel trailer in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we'd cook steaks and baked potatoes every single night. We'd tell stories until 3 o'clock in the morning. And we'd get up early at 6 o'clock to start distilling the next day. So I learned from the best. I'll tell you what, you'll hear Dave Dave's name in a lot of distilleries and how much influence he has in the bourbon culture. Um, almost, I, I'd, I'd say 50% of the distilleries, the craft distilleries we went to, have been to, he's had his fingers in that distillery and you can taste it somewhat in their whiskey. Um, that's a pretty cool thing to see. Dave was the shit. I was his first client. I was his first um, consulting client. So that was, uh, I think he realized that there was potential for the consulting gig right then and there. And I don't think you ever look back on the Maker's Mark days. Well, you were able to tap some really key people there, but but none of them really knew about like what would happen in a Texas Rick house, right? Dave didn't know either. Yeah. <laughs> it was all experiment. And then he actually, for the first couple of months, I would send, I would, I would do laboratory testing at ETS Labs out in California to uh, determine the wood congeners that were in it, to, to determine the... Uh, methanol levels, you know, I, I was scared shitless that I was going to poison somebody. So I'd send lab samples off constantly to the lab and have them analyzed. And then I'd put a whole bunch of bottles out to the lab in California that were from Kentucky. And I re-bottled it in my own bottle. And I'd put a maker's mark in there. And I'd put a Tennessee bourbon like Jack Daniels in another bottle. And I'd do comparisons of all these different spiral graphs and charts that they had. My bourbon and the cogeners that are in there and the flavor, flavor, flavor elements and the oils um, versus the Kentucky ones. And I was getting, I was getting this crazy 10X, um, 10X flavor wheel, um, for my bourbon versus, versus Maker's Mark and Maker's Mark was four years old. My bourbon was only two years old when I was testing it. So I was just kind of blown away with the results and, and I knew I had something special. I think Dave recognized that too. I'll tell you what, I, this is something I love about a weeded bourbon. So I did a second pour of this already. Um, you know, they don't call me big chief for nothing, right? I got to have two glasses of whiskey while everybody else has one glass, <laughs> especially when it's weeded bourbon. But there's some florals and honey coming out there. So maybe a little bit of honey, honeysuckle mm -hmm. um, on the nose. We'll be releasing in July uh, another bourbon that's my wife's project. Honeydew. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's been sitting on my back about that for years. And uh, we think it's pretty damn good. Also Maybe wine price with a small batch. So it'll, it'll be another inexpensive suburban that I think bartenders are going to go nuts over once we get our bars back open. Maybe somebody will send big chief a bottle of that honeydew. I'd really like a bottle of it. Any Texans should get a bottle of that. <laughs> I know a guy who can help you out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Jim, I think this is, what do you think about this bourbon? Yeah. Right? I mean, I, you know me, I like bold bourbons, right? I like, I like rye whiskeys. I like, I like very bold bourbons. I like things that uh, speak to you when you take a sip and this definitely talks to you. It's, it's, it's got some character, no doubt about it. I mean, did you set out to make a bold a bold statement with your flavor? For sure. My uh, my two benchmarks were W.L. Weller 12-year-old and um, blends. Those were, we had to be as good or better than those bourbons before we were going to release it to the public. And then when we came out with our cowboy bourbon over here, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well, uh, the cowboy bourbon had to be as good or better than um, than George T. Stagg. So that's those were the benchmarks that we were using to create our bourbon whiskey back in the day. Now you guys started out with your own bottle. Have you always been in this bottle right here that you're in? It has, and it's about to change. We're about to release the, in fact, we just released uh, Balmeray this month and Balmeray is going to come out in a brand new bottle style. Uh, it's pretty fancy. We got to a point where we were doing so many bottles. If you look at the back of these bottles, you'll see my signature and my master distiller's signature at the bottom there. That's an actual signature. It's not a signature. It's not a stamp. But we were getting up into the range of about 120,000, 140,000 bottles a year that we were releasing with each release. And there was just no way that we could keep up the signature. So in the future, bottles are going to have my signature on the front down here. And then whenever we do something special like Bomber or Cowboy, we will sign the bottles on the back. But we're not going to be signing the everyday bottles of small batch anymore. It's still going to be in the same bottle, though, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a different bottle. It's slightly different. Um, and I can send you, in fact, I'll send you a bottle of Balmeray in the new bottle. Well, I got, well, hopefully, I don't know if that is the, is that the, that's, new the, bottle. that's the new one. Exactly. 
Yeah, I can tell a little bit of difference in them. Not a whole a whole lot of difference and stuff. It's got that um, band around it. It's got a, a star on the front that's multicolored as opposed to this plain silver star that was on the old bottle. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about more about the aging process in, in Texas, if you don't mind, because it, it kind of it blows my mind how you were able to get your get a handle on that with those big temperature swings. And and you're able to uh, sort of I don't know that you're taming the Texas environment, but you learned how to work with it. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, what 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 are we what are we looking at in terms of angel share? And, you know, uh, obviously you've had to carefully choose your barrel sizes. We have uh, that angel share. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, aging. So, you know, in Kentucky, an eight year bourbon is an amazing thing. Right. But in Texas, that's hard to achieve. Right. It's impossible. Um, yeah. we're, we're about to release our first eight year old bourbon. And that is the the, um, the Laguna Madre, which will come out in August of this year. Or, yeah, I think it's August of this year. Laguna Madre is aged for four years in a new white American oak barrel. And then we transfer the liquid to a um, limousine oak cask from, from, from France. And the limousine oak is a very tight um, fiber uh, wood. So we don't have nearly the angel share losses that we do from the white American oak barrels. Uh, white American oak will lose about 13 to 15% of the contents of every barrel every single year. So if you're talking about a five-year-old bourbon, you're only going to have 40% of the liquid in that bottle, in that barrel five years later. So it's, it's brutal. It's expensive. And that's why Garrison Brothers is so expensive. Uh, people yeah. ask me, are you using some sort of spectacular grain? And yes, we're using the best, best grain money can buy. But the reality is that we're losing so much to the angels that we have to charge more for the bourbon. So your rickhouses, their traditional rickhouses are not climate controlled? They are not climate controlled. Uh, couldn't afford that. The electricity to to uh, do that, the steam to do that, and some of the Buffalo Trace uh, dis- distilleries just blows my mind. Um, they're not climate controlled. They're just pole barns. We've got three 5,000 square foot pole barns. We've got one 2,000 square foot pole barn. We have a 12,000 square foot uh, turkey barn and it literally was a turkey barn and released it from one of my neighbors. He used to raise turkeys in there. We had to put new siding on all the, the sides of the walls because the turkeys were allowed to run free during the day and then come back into the barn at night. And um, so that, that, that barn is just fantastic and it's full. It's completely full of barrels and walking into it, you're, you're looking, you're looking at a football field and a half down there and it's nothing but barrels. And it's just, it's a, it's an awe inspiring thing to see. Yeah, and it's a shorter barn, really, isn't it? It's you know, it's only like eight foot tall. It's I think it's sixteen foot at the sixteen foot. Okay, so that's a newer style turkey barn. I had a high school buddy that uh, he grew up on a turkey farm, and they had about twenty turkey farms. And I remember just going over there; it, it stunk pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it was nasty, nasty stuff. This place is real clean, though. We rebuilt it from the ground up, basically. So it's 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 a nice operation. Um, this area of the state used to be the largest turkey production area of Texas. Uh, there was a, a processing plant in Fredericksburg, Texas. So all the local farmers raised turkeys and they brought all the birds to be processed in Fredericksburg. And unfortunately, that thing caught fire about 20 years ago and the owners didn't have it insured. So um, everybody went out of the turkey business simultaneously. And there's a highway there called Highway 281 that goes into Fredericksburg and goes all the way up to all, all the way up to Fort Worth and stuff. And they, sometimes people call it the Milk Road. But if you were driving down that road in the 80s and early 90s, uh, you were definitely going to get stuck behind a turkey truck. <laughs> yeah. Highway yeah. 281 is a beautiful drive. It's, it's, it's how everybody tries to get to Dallas and Fort Worth today because nobody wants to drive on I-35. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I'm getting a little butterscotch now. Are you? This I, man, Dan. I I I gotta say, cheers to you, man. You you definitely made a great whiskey in this whiskey right here. Um, I salute you for going up against Weller and Maker's Mark and the Weeded Bourbon Boys of Kentucky. Um, we don't. That's pretty good to me. We consider it complimenting what's been done really well for a long time. Well, anytime you're competing against those guys, you you know you stand up against them. Um, I think that's that's high praise right there. Uh, Bill Samuels was another guy that, that uh, helped take me under his wing back in the day. And he, he, he was amazing. I went to Pat's Steakhouse in Louisville with him one night and just sat down. And I, I was sitting there and I was bitching and complaining. I was like, you know, Bill, this is so hard. I don't know how I'm going to get this bourbon out of the barrels. I don't even have a bottling line. I'm bitching and complaining. And he said, someone, 
shut up a minute. Do you realize what you're doing? You've opened up the first bourbon distillery outside of Kentucky. That's an accomplishment already. And so he was kind of inspiring. I had uh, the great pleasure of having dinner with him and his wife, Nancy, at their home uh, a couple of years ago with my wife, Nancy, as well. That's awesome. Well-respected man. Very knowledgeable. He's the best. King in the industry, no doubt about it. Yeah, let's take a short break here. And when we come back, uh, we'll try another expression from Garrison Brothers and uh, talk a little bit more about what you guys got going on. Sound good? Sounds good, because I'm jealous. I don't have a glass in my hand. So (laughs) All right. Thanks, y'all. like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. All right, everybody, we are back and we are with uh, Dan Garrison uh, of Garrison Brothers. And uh, we had an amazing pour in the first half. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, man, I tell you what, I, I'm so happy that uh, we we got him on, and then and then it's a weeded whiskey. We've been I've been having to go down that rye trail for a while now, <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm always excited to drink some more weeded whiskey. But Dan, you've got another one for us here in in the second half, and uh, this is something that is uh, just now hitting shelves, right? Um, and can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. And, and and better yet, can you pronounce it for us so we yeah. don't get it wrong? <laughs> Be happy to. This is uh, this is pretty special. This is called Balmore. Uh It's a combination of three gentlemen's names that started the first irrigation company in West Texas. Uh, one guy was named Ball, one guy was named Moore, one guy was named O'Shea. And they uh, used the San Solomon Springs, which were famous for the Comanche Indians and the Apache Indians. They used to water their horses there. It's out in West Texas near, near Alpine and near um, Marathon. And it's an absolutely beautiful spring-fed pool. It's the largest spring-fed pool in North America. And it's kind of a rite of passage here in Texas. Uh, You take your kids there to teach them how to swim or teach them how to scuba dive or teach them how to snorkel. And you take your wife there to teach her how to skinny dip because you don't want to jump in without her being, you know, experienced. That's Balmeray State Park. And every single time you buy a bottle of Balmeray, we're going to give away $5 toward Texas Parks and Wildlife for the rebuilding and reconstruction of Balmeray State Park. It was built by the the Civilian Conservation Corps in 1935. Um, This bourbon has been highly decorated. It uh, won um, American Whiskey of the Year and Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible in 2019 and 2020. And then it also uh, won San Francisco Wine and Spirits Competition double gold uh, this year. So we're awfully proud of this little bourbon. And I learned a real interesting thing from Jim Murray. I thought that this bourbon, our cowboy bourbon, which is our barrel strength, cask strength version of our small batch, I thought that this was the best bourbon ever made. But then I realized you don't need to pay 142 proof or 137 proof because if you do, it's almost a painful experience drinking it at that high of proof. When we brought this one down to 115 proof, we knew we nailed it. We knew we hit the perfect sweet spot for the proof and the flavors that are coming off of it. It's aged for four years in a white American, I'm sorry, two years and three years in one white American oak barrel 
And then we transfer the liquid to a second white American oak barrel where it ages for another year or another two years after that. So this is pretty much a five-year-old bourbon at 115 proof. 115 proof. So this is definitely a step up in proof from what we had in the first half. For sure. It's it's much higher, but boy, it's got layer after layer of flavor coming off of it. And I hope you've got your dram poured because I think you're going to like this. Yeah, we got one poured. Mike, want to check it out? Yeah, man, I'm getting some... uh, some dark, dark dried fruits in it. I try it with you, but I can't afford this shit. <laughs> I see that bottle. You need to just crack that bottle open right there. Yeah, Mike, definitely uh, dates, huh? I'm getting yeah. dates. Mm-hmm. But it's got, it's definitely got a little bit more uh, ethanol on the nose. But I, I have to blame myself because I didn't clear my glass first. But this is, this has been poured for about, uh, about halfway through the first half. And it definitely has that a more fruity nose than the than the small batch did. All of our bourbons are weeded bourbons. They're all using the same mash bill: seventy four percent corn, fifteen percent soft wedwood wheat, eleven percent barley. So if you leave that glass out for a little while, it's going to get really cloudy, just like a Maker's Mark wood or or a, a Pappy wood. Now, does this this has corn from South Texas though? I believe so. I believe That's what it says on the bottle. Yeah. So this was distilled in, this is really a double, double oat, isn't it? Correct. This is our 2019 version. What you're drinking is the 2020 version. So the 2020 version would be, they're all a double oak though, which means it was taken out of a barrel and then it was put back into another fresh barrel. Exactly. And then is that where you, you it gets that more, it just more rich in a color, uh, darker chocolate. And those barrels come from different parts of the country. Uh, they come from trees raised in forests in the northeast, and they also the, the second barrel that it goes into comes from Kelvin, which is using Ozark Mountain wood. So the the wood properties are completely different. Uh, the lignin content in, in in the northeastern barrels versus the, the Ozark barrels. So you're getting a balance of two different flavor profiles. What do you think, Jim? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to revise my first statement. It's not dates; it's figs, almost like fig Newtons. Mm-hmm. Fig, fig yeah. Newton jam. Yeah, but this is this is different than anything I've tasted before. And if somebody's looking for like a totally new experience, you know, they really want to step out of the box and they want to try something that's it's delicious, but it's also different from anything they've ever tried before. This hits the spot. Yeah, we're awfully proud of it. We like that bourbon a lot. Wish we could make more of it, but um, we can't. So this is about a 7,000 bottle release every single year that we release it. Now, the bottle, how did you guys decide to go with uh, the silver work on this bottle? Because I wish people could see this thing. Um, it is is decorated in, in silver work. The star is silver work. Um, and then you got Texas blue bonnets on that, you know, that's the Texas state flower for people don't know. And you go drive down the roads and uh, the state of Texas have planted blue bonnets all over the place. And this is the time of year for blue bonnets too. Yeah. They're mostly dying off now. It's starting to get a little yeah. bit off, but um, they're, they're out there still, especially in the Northern part of the state. So this is the 2019 version of that bottle before we redesigned it. And the complaints that we often heard was this was, this type was too small to read behind a bar. Um, we wanted it to pop more. We wanted the name to pop more. So the type is much bigger on the bottle you're looking at. And that silver band over the Balmeray, um, it makes it pop off the shelf a little bit more. And we're getting some real nice compliments from, from bartenders. Well, I, I'd say it's definitely, it's one of the most beautiful bottles I've seen. Um, and the blue wax uh, sets it off. And, you know, that's that color of that spring, Balmeray Springs down there. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I got taken there and, and uh, we got to go swimming and stuff. And, um, you're right. It's a rite of passage, but to just the silver work that that kind of harkens to to Texas and the blue bonnets and the Texas star. I'd I love it, man. So there's a real story behind this blue uh, color that you see. It's kind of a custom color. We call it Balmeray blue, of course. And we went to Texas Parks and Wildlife and we said, look, we're going to kick off this new bourbon. It's a double oak bourbon. And we would love to have a the largest swim party in the history of Texas at Balmeray State Park to kick off this bottle. And we will raise $25,000 for you to help restore the park and help rebuild the park from the ground up to plant new trees, to plant native wildlife, native flowers, everything along there. And they got all excited about it. And then they took that recommendation to their board of directors. And the board of directors said, nope, sorry, no alcohol is allowed in state parks. 
Mm. Wait a minute. I'm a proud Texan here. And that park needs help. And if I'm going to be giving away a whole bunch of bourbon to raise a lot of money for that park, you need to change your rules. And sure enough, they did. The parks commissioners changed the rules so that we could have a party in the park next year. So we went out and we bought a couple of thousand Balmeray blue swim floats and swim towels. And we were going to have, we were going to play Jaws. Uh, and everybody's on the raft in the, in the, in the water watching the big sc- movie screen at night. It was going to be one hell of a shindig. And Three weeks before the event was planned, they drained the water out of the park and they discovered the entire pool apron around the diving board area had completely collapsed due to erosion. Oh, So our party, we would have probably spent about $250,000 putting that event on and it would have been money down the drain. So the good Lord was looking out for me that day because we didn't spend all that money. But we came back and we said, you know what, we're going to do something special. We helped raise the funds through the sale of Balmeray for them to fix that that apron, that concrete apron around the pool and it reopened the, the park. So um, next year we're going to have one hell of a party out there. All right. Good deal. Yeah. So I, I'd say this, uh, this bourbon right here, I got a pairing for this bourbon right here, Jim. Yeah. Uh, I, got, I got a name for it too. So Dan, I always name my bourbons after usually a country singer and stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to name your bourbons here. So that small batch, I would call that small batch the Willie Nelson. You know, it's it, it's a small batch. Willie Nelson was a small guy, but it's still rough and rugged. Uh, as Jim had said before, it's bold. Um, and Willie Nelson's definitely had a bold career. That the Balmoray, um, it's more refined. It's elegant. And I would call that King George, or as everybody else knows him, George Strait. Two Texas boys uh, for your bourbons there. So there you go. <laughs> Mike, you always got good names for these bourbons. Good good country singers, too. So you said something about a pairing, too. This would pair great with some brisket. And I think I'm going to have to smoke a brisket, have Jim over, and drink some of this bourbon together. I think it would. Yeah, I think it would too, Mike. You know, this has got it's 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 kind of layered. So, you know, as we sit here and we sip on it, it keeps revealing itself a little bit more. And uh, I'm getting a little bit of kind of like chocolate now. And uh, I don't know that it would go all the way to like a chocolate coffee, maybe, but it definitely chocolate. Why'd you have to say coffee? Now, now I taste that. <laughs> Do you? I didn't, I, I didn't want to say it was coffee flavored, but it might be like, what's that? What's that coffee? I, I'm not a coffee person. What's that coffee called that has chocolate in it? Mocha. I'm, mocha. Mocha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mocha. There you go. Yeah. I'm not one of those foo-foo coffee drinkers, so I don't, <laughs> but I definitely taste that. And that wasn't there when I first started sipping on it. It kind of revealed itself as I continued. We, uh, are you familiar with the Salt Lake, Mike, over in, in uh Driftwood, Texas? Hell yeah, I am. I love that place. That's like that's a mecca of barbecue to me. I, I took my family there. Uh, my son graduated from the Air Force um, basic training two years ago, and I took a bunch of family members down there. I said, we got to go. I got to take you to this salt lick. And I took them there, and my mother-in-law went with me, and she was she's from Germany, and she was just a mess. She couldn't believe it. You know, you walk in there and they got that round smoke pit right there with just all the meats hanging and stuff. And she, she was just amazed. Now, I would say my brisket's right up there with old Salt Lake. <laughs> oh, well, that's pretty impressive. Uh, they're about 45 minutes away from us. And whenever I have visitors come to Texas for the first time, I take them over to the Salt Lake for barbecue. And they also do a blackberry and peach. Um, what's, the, what's the pie? that, that Cobbler. They make some cobbler. Yeah, throw a little vanilla bluebell ice cream on top of that sucker and then drown it in Balmeray and you got yourself on hell with dead Man, that sounds good. We're gonna have to, Jim. We're gonna have to do that, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, our wives good. would love that and stuff. So, Dan, what's uh? So you you started up a whiskey distillery, um, and you were in business. When when was your first like taste of bourbon? When did you go down that bourbon road? I've been drinking Jack Daniels since I was in high school. Um, I was always the kid that brought the bottle of Jack to the party where other people brought the, the six pack of beer or the, the bottle of tequila. I was, a, I was a bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey guy for most of my life. In fact, my 35th birthday, my wife and my birthday is right around Christmas time in December. And she gave me a giant Christmas stocking. And it was filled with nothing but Jack Daniels bottles and diet Cokes. Cause I was drinking Jack Daniels. And, diet <laughs> and that was one of the best presents she ever gave to me, by the way. But um, I really started getting into it big time when I turned 40 and I went on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail and I went into that wonderful liquor store over in Bardstown, a tiny little place that's got 
wall to wall bourbon whiskey in there. Dang, I can't remember the place. Real nice place. Um, and good people there. And I saw all these bottles of bourbon I've never seen before. A lot of the Willet stuff was, was coming out back then. And um, Drew Colesman, and he had probably 12 different brands that I've never seen in Texas. And I started tasting them and tasting them. And I'd bring them back. I'd fill my whole suitcase up and I'd bring them back to Texas. And that became kind of my, my benchmark. I have a little cabin out at the distillery that's an old hunting cabin. And I built these shelves and I put all the bottles up there. And every night I would drink a different bottle to try to figure out what was what it was made from. What, what was the mash bill in this combination? What kind of spring water are they using here? What kind of water are they using for there? Why is the proof varying? And what is that, that varying, variance in proof? What effect does it have when you drink it down? Um, and I've learned, I taught myself to drink their bourbon whiskey back in the day. This was back in the day when you could get a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle for 60 bucks uh, in, in Bardstown. So back then it was before bourbon took off and it was a little bit of a gamble. Um, you recall at the same time, uh, wild turkey was sold. I think, uh, I think uh, Pernod Ricard sold wild turkey to um, Campari about the same time that we got started. And that just blew my mind. Why would, wild tur- why would, why would Pernod Ricard unload turkey for crying out loud? Um, it, it was it was a learning experience. This bourbon was granddaddy's drink, and nobody drank bourbon back in those days. And all of a sudden, we came out with ours, and and I started opening over Pappy, and the price of Pappy just kept going up and up. And uh, it, the bourbon revolution started, and we had fifteen percent growth for about the next ten years. And we just happened to be lucky enough to jump right on that and be there when it happened. Where are you from in in Texas? What what's your hometown? So I grew up in Houston. Uh, I was a redneck with a capital R. Um, had a big old belt buckle. Had a can of Copenhagen in my back pocket. And um, our highlight um, was Friday nights. We would drive around in people's cars with a baseball bat and knock the mailboxes off of off of people's you know front front doors. Have y'all ever seen the movie Dazed and Confused with Matthew McConaughey? Oh yeah, yeah. That was my childhood in, in Houston, Texas. And then my dad got smart and realized I was a troublemaker and I was about to get, you know, he was tired of bailing me out of jail. So he sent me off to a boarding school on the East Coast. If you've ever seen the movie, um, Robin, Robin Williams plays a, a professor at this, this school up there on the East Coast. I can't remember the movie, but it, the school is called St. Andrews. And I was up there at boarding school. That's where my dad went to high school and that's where my grandfather went to high school as well. And it was a very strict school. And I Was, I, that, was that Dead Poet Society? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Got it. And then, All right. And uh, after I came back to Texas, after that, I went to high school in Dallas because my dad had moved to Dallas. Um, and then I went to the high school I and mean, went to college at the University of Texas. So I've kind of grown up all over the state of Texas. Austin is my home now, but I spend five days a week out here in high. Um, so I get the best of both worlds. I get to live in crazy Austin, Texas, where everything's about keeping it weird. And then I get to come out to the Hill Country for some rational, conservative, political thought every once in a while. Now, Austin's a pretty cool place. And, you know, Mike and I have been talking about getting down that way here pretty soon. But uh, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's, they've got kind of a similar vibe to, to what Nashville, right? I mean, very similar kind of a experience. We do more bachelorette parties than I bet Nashville does nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike and I are definitely looking forward to it. We we are the Bourbon Road, so we want to we want to be on the road as much as we can. And you know, uh, we're all living in an alternate reality right now. Of course, you know, with the with the with the virus, and we don't like to talk about that too much on the show. But you know, when all this is over, you know, and and we get back to life, and we hope we get back to lives as normal. Uh, you know, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you know what it's like, uh, what what the distillery experience is like there? You know what sure. what yeah, um, the, we've just recently formed the Texas Whiskey Association, which is about 14 whiskey makers that make their own juice. Uh, you'll see on bottles of Garrison, there's this little sticker up in the corner that says certified Texas whiskey. Um, that proves that we did not buy this juice from MGP or another source whiskey supplier. We actually made it ourselves. We actually have an auditor who works for the Texas Whiskey Association who visits the various distilleries to make sure that they've got silos with corn, wheat, and barley in it to make sure that they're actually fermenting their own mash. Um, so it, it's, it's proven the Texas Whiskey Association is. There are a whole different range of different types of distilleries down here. There's the big guys. Um, TX Whiskey out of Fort Worth is massive with a, with a ton of money behind them. Um, they have 
an enormous 24-inch copper uh, column still, and then they've got a, a, a beautiful 750-gallon uh, doubler there. That place is a museum. It's it's amazing. The architecture is fantastic. They call it the Whiskey Ranch. That's in Fort Worth, and that's huge. Then we have the smaller guys like us. We have um, we're on 68 acres, so it sounds like it's a big operation, but most of the distillery buildings are concentrated at the top of the hill. It's very rustic. You will feel like you are on a family, small family farm the whole time you're there. And that's intentional. We don't want to have industrial looking buildings. We don't want you to be able to see all the silos or the uh, the augers that auger the grain up into the, the cookhouse. We want all of that behind closed doors. But when you take a tour through our distillery, you start at our little gift shop area. You ride a trailer up the hill with 25 people who will become your friends throughout the rest of the day. And then we give you a tour of the cookhouse. We give you a tour of the stillhouse. Um, and these distillers themselves and the mash cooks are going to tell you about what they do. And they're awfully damn proud of it. And sometimes I've got to shut my guys up because I'm about to talk about how they cook mash for 30 minutes and the tour needs to keep moving through. But we're awfully proud of it. We tell stories along the way. Um, we've got a big old steel bowl that's made out of concrete, um, made out of uh, automobile salvage yard parts um, called Ferdinand. He's about 16 feet tall and 10 feet wide. It's a longhorn steer, of course. Um, it's it's a it's a neat operation. Everybody feels like family when they come visit us at Garrison Brothers, and we can't wait to get them back. We miss everyone. So, so Dan, are you uh, are you gonna make any longhorn bourbon? No, no, nothing with a orange like like burnt orange wax on it or nothing. So you, you want to hear the true story behind that? <laughs> you've, tr- you've tried. <laughs> so I, uh, I am a University of Texas graduate, Pokemons, <clears throat> and I'm also a member of the Alumni Association. And I have been working with the Alumni Association for about two and a half years at the University of Texas because I came up with an idea. I wanted to create a Garrison Brothers scholarship program for students to go attend the University of Texas. And what we were going to do is we were going to bottle all the bottles in, in burnt orange wax and David Jabor, who owns the Twin Liquors chain, which is one of the largest chains in te- liquor store chains in Texas, is also a University of Texas graduate. And I went to David and I showed him the orange wax on the bottles. And he said, I love it. I'll take as many as you can give me and we'll sell them through all our stores. And I was going to make a $10 contribution to the scholarship fund for every burn orange bottle that was sold. And David was going to match that $10. And then all of a sudden I got a call from the executive director of the uh, the Texas X's one day. And he said, you know what? We got to put this project on hold. And I said, well, why do we have to put the project on hold? He said, well, I can't talk details, but there's this famous Texas actor who's in association with this, this famous Kentucky uh, bourbon company called Turkey. And they're introducing a new bourbon across the country with Matthew McConaughey as their spokesperson. And so suddenly they wanted to, it was an exclusive arrangement with Turkey. And, um, yeah. We got forced out, so we never got to do that. And wow. all the money was donated to the athletics department as University of Texas, and we were shoved out. So I'm still pissed off about that. So you don't think that'll be something down in the down the road in the future that you might attempt again? I hope so, but I think I need um, well, uh, enough period, right? <laughs> I need to go on before I can do it. Yeah, it's it's a hard one. Somebody rubs you the wrong way to go back and you know and say, hey, I want to try this again. Um, It'd be one thing if um, if they were making the financial contribution that we were to the university, but they're not. It's yeah. all supporting the sports program, so they can get they can get Long Branch in the bars. Well, Dan, we'd we'd like to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know, you know, how they can reach out to you guys and 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 see what you have going on. Your know, website, social media accounts. Hey, uh, thank you. And- We've got a pretty cool website. Uh, we tell a lot of the stories. We use that, that website to convey the stories of the distillery, the history of the distillery. Um, it's www.garrisonbros.com. Um, you cannot order bourbon from us on the website because Texas is a control state and a three-tier state. And you can't ship bourbon in or out of the great state of Texas, unfortunately. We're working on that, by the way, but we're not making a whole lot of progress. Um, Kentucky just change that legislation. And so that's become the model for everybody across the country. We're all trying to be like Kentucky is um, as far as direct to consumer shipments go. But um, on our website, you can make a reservation for a tour of our distillery. Our tentative reopening date after the COVID bullshit is uh, 
May 29. Um, we plan, that's our tentative date for opening up our gift shop and our tasting room again. Obviously, we want everybody to be safe, so we're going to be real cautious and real careful. There are bottles of hand sanitizer everywhere, and we even make our own hand sanitizer using the, the white dog from, from Garrison Brothers. It's called Wash Your Damn Hands Sanitizer. <laughs> I like that. This is also a lot of fun because we've got restaurants all across the state are reopening at the same time that we are, and they've all requested bottles of this hand sanitizer to put on their on their tables in the restaurant. So it's been a great experience. Um, we've been giving this away to frontline folks that are um, waging this war on the pandemic, and it's been a great pleasure. So those those listeners we have who are not in Texas and not in Kentucky, uh, what other states can they expect to find your product in? Sure. We're selling bourbon in about 30 states across America today. Uh, we stay away from the control states pretty much because it's very difficult to, to promote your product in a state where they don't allow you to come in and do an in-store tasting. You know, how are you supposed to get, get your, your liquid to lips in a state like that? So we stay away from the control states. We're in California, all the way east. We're in Connecticut, New York, Florida, um, most of the major states across the country. And, and we've had a really good reception wherever we've, we've entered. And it's been it's been fun to watch it grow. I mean, I can now go to New York City and I can uh, walk into Del Frisco Steakhouse right there at uh, Times uh, Times Square, but um, Rockefeller Center, and I can sit down and order a glass of Garrison Brothers at the bar, and I know that they're going to have it behind the bar. So it, it feels really good. It's it's a it's a mission accomplished type situation for me. I'm, I'm the luckiest man in the world. do appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly We always welcome comments or suggestions. And if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.